0: Hey guys, it's gospel of Kennison episode 50. Wow. 50. Um, what you're hearing right now is my voice, uh, through our brand new NL cast studios, uh, mixer. And, uh, I'm not real happy that I had to get it. My, my old mixer wasn't that old. Um, but I guess in the move it, it acquired a buzz, not unlike this. You hear that? Yeah. Well, I say in the move, I actually went back in time, uh, through the magic of, uh, podcast feeds, found out that this buzz has been in everything I've done audio wise, uh, since probably October of, of last year. So four months shy of a year and it, uh, I just noticed it here. I mean, the whole story is I was setting up my stuff, you know, uh, Paul and I had done an episode of uh, a movie Beatdown, and I just in the background, I just heard this buzz, not a hum, not a ground loop, but a straight up buzz. And um, I did, you know, all the things you do, I, you make sure that the power cords aren't intermingling with the electrical cords. Cause that's actually what's going on here point being it was uh was out of control i i would systematically unplug everything i even um i I, I even took the thing around it was just me the headphones a mixer and the power cord and i'd plug it into different outlets around the house with nothing else in it to cause a ground loop still hearing the buzz which leads me to believe first of all that it is the power in my 100 year old house that I now live in here in here in St. Louis. And so I spend 50 bucks and uh, acquire a power conditioner that is uh, something people buy when they have, you know, like nice audio equipment and stuff. And it's basically, uh, an upgrade from a, you know, a, a power strip or whatever so because it does do some of that but mostly what it does is it keeps it's i don't know okay it's supposed to keep the buzzing from going away it's supposed to filter out the crap that causes that It's supposed to eliminate the whole ground loop concept it's supposed to just bring harmony and peace to the world of podcasting uh right here for 50 dollars. and i i brought that in i plugged it in i plugged in my headphones i turned on the mixer and you know, just more of the same. Yeah. That, if you're listening with headphones, you can hear it. So, um, that, that helped me to realize, well, I was 90% sure it's my mixer. So long story short, I had to buy a new mixer, $400. a Yeah. Yeah. 400 bucks. And, uh, not real thrilled about that, but, um, I, it was awesome. I posted, um, on the, uh, NL cast, uh, community Facebook page. And, uh, there were so many of them. I just, I just said, I'd be stupid not to ask you guys to consider donating to offset the costs because I was, I was just PayPal had a little bit in it, you know, but I haven't podcasted for quite a while. So there ain't, there ain't much in it, you know, for emergencies. But I said, you know, could you help me out? And, and the, the people came through, it's ridiculous. Um, and it was the middle of the night when I posted it, people are still up, I suppose. And, uh, before I knew it, you know, I had a $50 gift, a 25, a 10, a five, a 25, another, you know, my wife even got in on it and says, I'll give you 50 bucks. So basically I haven't done the final math because some more stuff came in right before I hit record. Um, but a $400, uh, Mixer, though the money was still spent, and that's legit and all that, uh, it's less than 150 bucks, um, when it came down to it. So that's a blessing, um, from you guys. So thank you so much. Um, you know, and and somebody asked, and, and rightly so, well, what about all the Patreon money? And uh, and I told them, I said, well, first of all, that comes a month after the first episode that i record and i really don't want to start recording episodes with buzz a big loud you know hum buzz sound in the background uh the only buzz i like is buzz lightyear as you know so um you know i don't i don't want to mess in in my podcast so it's all handled it's all done it was a wonderful story wasn't it i mean it had a moral and everything um the moral is, you can only blame the movers if you didn't hear the sound in the podcast from before you moved. <laughs> it would be awesome to lie and say, uh, "Yeah, movers, you you broke my mixer, and you should you should pay for it." But uh, I, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But it was it was it was awesome to think about. You know. But I didn't need to. You guys came through, so I appreciate it. I know I might be opening up a bag of worms here, but you know, if it's a personal journal, audio journal, then I get to talk about whatever I want. And I will be honest, I have not followed the news. Okay? I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I don't read conservative news. I don't read uh the the uh, liberal uh news. I don't read hipster news. I don't read baby news. I don't need, I, well, I don't, I probably do need it, but I don't read it. Okay. So I am ignorant. I'm speaking from a place of ignorance from today. Uh, meaning I don't know what's going on and who is upset and who wants what and what the demands are concerning the, uh, the Confederate flag. Okay, I don't know that. So what I want to talk about instead is my personal um experience with that flag. Um and here it is. My very first experience with a Confederate flag, I was playing in the backyard of my friend Anne with my sister. And at the very back of her property, behind the bushes, there was a tree that we would climb, and you could see into the backyard of the house behind them, which was a far cry, less fancy, let's just say. No grass, all leaves. This is Florida, you know, North Florida. Uh, so a lot of uh, live oaks and, and moss and things, and just kind of a brown house, with random stuff, I'm basically describing the house of a what people would call a redneck. Okay, um, I don't consider that term a negative term, um, unless uh, unless they have a flag. But anyway, I uh, they had a flag flying. Okay, a Confederate flag flying in the backyard, and I asked. I asked about it because it wasn't the American flag and I was young. So I'm probably, you know, six, seven. And I asked him, I'm like, you know, what's, what's up with that flag? Oh, you don't know about that flag. You know, what's up with that flag? It's like, no, what's up with that flag? Why do you have that flag? Why are you flying that flag in the backyard? And I can't tell you exactly what he said because he used the N word. So what I will say is this, he says, well, we fly that to keep the black people away. Okay. So, you know, insert the racial slur of your choice there. There's only one. So that fits in that sentence. So there it is. There's my first, uh, introduction to that flag, a Southern boy, uh, completely ignorant of what racism was at the time and, and what that flag meant. And, uh, so yeah, there it is. Um, It's to keep, we, we put that up to scare black people away. And so for a time as a child, I believed that black people therefore were scared literally because you know, you're concrete thinker when you're that age. Um, I, I really thought they were scared of the flag and I could not figure out why. Of course, I, I don't think I ever asked anybody and that's, that's a wonderful thing because, um, because then, you know, that would have been really weird and awkward. Now I got to fast forward uh, to high school. Um, I was I graduated in 1991, so I was in high school between 88 and 91. And uh, I must have been 90, maybe. I don't know. But there was a big movement with uh, African-Americans. um they were really getting attached to, I mean, that, that phrase was coming out. People were uh, wearing Africa uh, badges or, you know, around their neck. It was like a thing uh, with the colors of the nation. Um, Other people were wearing giant clocks, but that's a whole different thing. Um, And then the movie uh, Malcolm X came out, which is a really good movie, by the way. But it, uh, it really got, the kids, uh, African-American kids, you know, X's on their hats, X's on their, on their shirts. And having seen the movie later in life, cause I wasn't allowed to watch movies until well after I graduated high school. So I, I had no clue, but having seen it now and, and what he stood for and what he came to stand for and why he was assassinated because he, he kind of did a one eighty and, uh, Anyway, his, his message. Wh- white folks only apparently know the the shouting Malcolm X. You know, uh, but I believe in my heart that this community was uh, displaying, um, you know, what Malcolm X stood for. Period. Which in his last days was peace and brotherhood. It was more, you know, what uh, Martin Luther King was was uh, crying out for. So, uh, but the response to this, okay. The response to this was in the redneck community, which there were many, and this is in South Georgia now at, at, uh, Camden County high school. The, the response to the Malcolm X t-shirts, um, was anger and a, uh, trip to the local t-shirt shop where they got a t-shirt that said, you wear your ex, I'll wear mine. And it had, of course, the stars and bars, the Confederate flag across their chest. Um, once again, being used as a weapon, a comeback, being seen as an equal to what they perceived Malcolm X to be, which was hatred of white people. You know, that's that's what they, that's what they assumed because they weren't going to go see it. You know, God forbid. Um, so, so there it is, you know, the, the, uh, confederate flag being used in modern times by kids that don't reenact, uh, civil war, uh, battles. And, and they were using this thing as a tool to incite, uh, issues and things like that. Now, now the white folks in the community would, would come very quickly and say, well, they started, they had their exes and they had this, that, and the other. And, and, um, Unfortunately, I, I would just say, yeah, okay, but you have to ask and, and research and, and say, okay, what are they? What are they? Because I'm sure every kid who's wearing this, um, well, to be honest, I mean, if, if kids are kids, there's three kids that are wearing it for the, for the reason that uh, Malcolm X would want if, he'd want, if he would want them doing this at all. Uh, and then there's 15 to 50 of them just doing it because they did, you know, uh, that's kids across the board. Um, you know, I, I don't know. My kids were really big into these sh- shaped bracelets, these little bands that were in the shape of dogs and crowns and even names and stuff. It lasted for like, you know, a month and then now we're off to the next thing. So, um, you know and there's probably one or two kids really passionate about that and they spread it like wildfire so cuz cuz you know are we still seeing the t-shirts um you could probably say yeah, i saw a dude you know wearing yeah but is it a trend no no so it was a trend and um and rather than us you know in that community taking a look at ourselves and saying okay you know is there a lesson to be learned here is there something that that he said that was truthful and real. Is there, um, is there? Does does community need to be expanded? You know, and and now <laughs> these are all ridiculous questions because the answer to them all, and even the questions I can't think to ask, ask, ask are yes. Because I went to school at a high school, and they probably still do this, where you go to the football game and two thirds of the stands were all the white folks. And then one third of the stands were all the black folks because we shared a community, but we did not intermingle, you know, um, for, for, for a, for a kid who was white to date someone that was not white. Um, and it was typically, you know, a white black thing cause we didn't have a lot of Asian Hispanic mix in this, in this small town. It was, it was a, it was an out, absolute outrage and it was well known in a true Juliet and Romeo fashion that one of the, um, leading black, uh, active, not activist. He was, a, he was a politician and, um, one of the leading, uh, conservative white, you know, group, uh, leaders, their kids were dating on the sly. And, uh, I don't think they ever got married or anything, but, uh, they were a good couple. They were, they were cute. So, uh, but we're talking about the Confederate flag. So, you know, it scares off black people. They tell me, and, uh, and now, you know, you wear your ex, I'll wear mine. My, my ex is going to beat your ex. We're going to paper, rock, scissors, this t-shirt battle, uh, passive aggressively to the end of time. Um, so, my next entry in in this story, and my it would have to be that I went to inner city Kansas City um, years later and ended up there working in the inner city in an area that was primarily African American. I'd say fifty percent African American, twenty percent white, and then if there's any left over. It would be a split Asian Hispanic. There's probably a little bit more uh, in there, but that's, that's roughly what, what it was. And we worked in this neighborhood. I lived it for a year in this neighborhood and uh, knew many people. We did bus routes, knew their kids, parents. Uh, I knew who I didn't want to talk to because I knew all he was going to do was tell me his car was broke down just across the street. It's like three years of this buddy. I, I, you don't have a car. Your story is old. Um, try to catch the new guy that comes down here. Um, so I, you know, I knew the way that the, the city worked. I know people, I know what, what hurts and a lot of what I used to have a lot of a staunch, um, conservative black and white views on politics and the way humans should be treated changed quite a bit because I was the guy that thought, you know, you should obey the rules a hundred percent with, with Mexico and you coming into other country and they should all be just rounded up and kicked out. And and that's all easy and, and well and good until you know, these people and you know, a family, uh, a wonderful family who came and is working at your church and they're so grateful to be there. But, they find out that the paperwork that they thought was legit was forged or somehow put together by their uncle and they and their children are pulled out of their life that they were trying to build and sent back across the border never to be seen again, as far as I know. And that breaks your heart. And you're like, you know what? Dadgummit, that gummit that is not what I had in mind when I had that belief, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of dirty fat guys swimming across the river. Right. You know, and, and, and they're, they're here to to beat us up and take our money and, you know, have babies and all the crap that people say, um, you know, and then of course, knowing children and teenagers who are first generation Americans um, whose parents hardly spoke English. Um, I, I began to change my attitude of, you know, well, if they can't learn to, you know, speak the language, by God, um, into, you know, really feeling sorry for these folks because they would love to speak English. They would absolutely love to. It would, it would make their life a lot easier. I can speak from experience having gone to Spain and losing my luggage and not being able to speak a word of Spanish, wishing to God that I could. And looking with wide eyes for someone who could speak my language. Um, so, you know, there, there's, yeah, there's probably somebody that's a butthole about it and I'm not learning English, you know, but um, everybody I ever met was, you know, loved the country, uh, wanted to be an active part of it, wanted their children to do better in life than they did, just like every other kind of parent. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes they had really weird colored houses It was, and man, they spent a lot of money on fireworks. The one, the, just the ones I know, I'm not trying to say all Mexicans like fireworks. Um, even though I, I would be pretty safe in, in saying that they, they do, they love them. Um, and pretty much like I would say all rednecks love fireworks. Uh, okay. So, uh, so even with the Hispanic thing, once I once I went to third world, the third world part of Mexico, and I saw uh, I, right there in Reynosa, right there on the border, as I'm working with people who children uh, being carried by their parents begging as cars go by, other children who are older running around selling bracelets and trinkets and things like that, um, guys sleeping you know on the side of the road in a in a pile of trash going to, I don't even know the name of them, but it was just fields that the government would clear and then parcel out. And when I say parcel, I don't mean like an acre. I mean like a space probably the size of your living room. It would, no streets in between, and they would just give it to people, and people would just set up cardboard, you know, whatever, flats. and, And they lived in it. And kids are running around bare feet you know, and, in and, and their feet are so tough that they can walk on glass. And, um, and then you look over the river and you see the signs poking up for Taco Bell and Jack in a box and, you know, and it just looks like heaven. It's the land of opportunity. And, and, and on my side, on the side I was on, you know, they're throwing, cables up on the power lines to try to get electricity for these little, these little shanty houses that they built that probably aren't even supposed to be particularly where those were. And so my, my, my whole attitude changed because I'm thinking, I'm looking at these people with babies and children and I'm imagining I'm their father and I'm looking across the river and there's opportunities. There's work over there. It's clean. They they there's no dirt all over the streets. You can actually see the, the center line, you know, on the road because they clean the streets. And when people tear down houses, they take the crap away instead of leaving it there. Um, not that all Mexico is like this, but Reynosa is. And my my attitude became I don't blame you a bit. Oh, Yes, yes, you should try to do it legally. And yes, people do. But when your kids got to eat, what would you do? Okay. All I'm saying, I still believe things should be done the right way. Absolutely. But man, my heart has been added to my beliefs and it's changed them. And um, so there we go. I'm saying all that because <laughs> I got. I I cannot claim that I understand the way black folks generally as a people think and how they have suffered and all that. I cannot claim that I understand it because I I just, and I'll tell you why, because I respect what they've gone through and who they are and the people that they are and the strength that they have (laughs) too much to try to act like I got some sort of corner on it. But that being said, do understand more than I did. Because I didn't understand Jack Squat. Ten years in a place with a with a group of people, a type of people, um will will help you out. You you learn stuff. Um like for instance when we lived there, I fully expected that we would be broken into constantly. (laughs) Um, we never had a problem because we lived there. We were neighbors, nobody, you know, people steal from neighbors, you know, Uh, we did have a guy one time ask us if we had any food while we were unloading our groceries. And I, I told him no, which I know technically was a lie, but I learned in ethics classes, if you can answer the question they're really asking, then you're not lying. And the, the real question he was asking was, do you have any food I can have? And the answer to that, as I was struggling with three bags and trying to close the trunk is, no, no, I don't have any food for you. But, but anyway, the, the I'm getting to the the crux of the thing here is I, um, made a lot of friends, a lot of people that I will uh, consider friends for life. And, um, and I mentored a lot of kids and poured into the lives of a lot of kids. There were, there were kids that, um, you know, the school would call us before they'd call their parents, you know, we'd go eat with them and And the teachers would say at lunch, you know, and the teachers would say it changed everything. And just because somebody was, was caring and, 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 you know, giving them some, some, some FaceTime or whatever. But, but one thing I learned and, and I had to learn it the hard way because there's no other way to learn it is that the world, the universe hates black men, hates them. It ain't just white America. It's the universe. And, I don't, and and the reason I say that is not to be trite or funny or, you know, like, you know, everybody hates black guys. No, it's not like that. What I'm saying is I watched so many good black young men just have their life taken from them. We, you know, and, and yes, there was a few black girl. There was a black girl um, named Donera and she was on my web team for our youth group. And and then she just freaking up and dies, you know, for no, some brain aneurysm thing. But, but with the boys, you know, um, one kid was in an argument with his uncle and his uncle hit him in the head. Tried to pistol whip him and the gun went off and boom, um, he's gone forever. Smart guy, almost out of high school. Another guy at his, uh, senior prom, um, in the city and, uh, heading out, getting in his limo with his, with his girl drive by, not even aiming at him. Boom. He's dead. Buried him. Uh, another guy, Jeremy, he was in a car with three other people, um, got in an accident, they walk out, he dies. Three white kids and him, boom, he's dead. Um, I think it's because, just personally, I think it's because black men have more to offer this world than anyone could ever imagine. I really do. I know in in white America they get a they get a pretty rough rap. And guys, I've seen gangsters and guys that, you know, scared me dropping off kids late at night, you know, after, after a youth group meeting and I'd walk around to open the door and they thought I was coming at them. And so they would step to me I'd be scared, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not saying that every black man is is helpless or hasn't made his choice what i'm saying is i've come to understand that there is a viewpoint beyond mine there is a side to things that i can't understand and just keeping that in my head um it doesn't make me better it doesn't make me better it it makes me more sensitive i guess it keeps me from getting angry a lot of times. You know, like, like I would imagine the average white person, when they see Black Lives Matter on a t shirt or in a sign in the front of your house, you, you would probably get angry and say, Well, all lives matter. All lives matter. We all matter. Yeah, but, Cops aren't pulling over your kids and, and messing with them and jacking with them and in an up kilt, you know, and you can say, well, the kid shouldn't have been, you know, this and that and the other. Yeah. But did he deserve to die? You know, they shot bin Laden with three bullets I don't even know how many Trayvon Martin got, but it was a lot more than three. So I have compassion for people because I've seen two types of cops as I was dealing with, because cops were, were, we had off duty police officers uh, involved in our ministry because we, we, we needed not protection for (laughs) the kids there, but just the crap that would try to, Come in, um, drug deals and uh, rival gangs, or, or somebody's girlfriend's brother—you know that kind of crap. But um, I, I, I met two different types of policemen, and there was a lot of them. But there was, there was two. One of them was a decelerator cop. The other one was an accelerator cop. Decelerator cop would come in, find out what was going on. Yeah, you know, handcuff people, get stuff, calmed down. And then just really try to de-escalate the situation, come to the, to the place where, you know, we could find some common ground, figure out who needs to be uncuffed and let go and who needs to answer for what they did or, Oh, it's a big misunderstanding. We can drop it. Let's walk. I like those guys, but then there was the accelerator guys. They were the ones that would get into a situation and you could just see their masculinity start busting out of them. Their chest would rise up and their their mouth would just get all little cakey on the sides because they were talking with spit coming out and they were just mad and angry and they wanted to uh prove that they were strong and they were there to just dominate the situation. And uh and it would accelerate things. Uh one guy in particular I always remember how how often it that stinking spray came out, uh, the pepper spray and he would use it. And that would just, oh man, I would just light a fuse. I was like lighting a fuse because he'd pull it out stupid things. And they're like, what you did, you did it there. I mean, the kids even around would just get upset then. Um, so, you know, in these, in these issues, in these situations, um, I don't understand A lot of things, but I do understand why, um, typically, uh, low income, mid income, black, uh, inner city families, why they don't trust the police. It's, it's not, um, I don't know. I don't know at all. So like I said, I can't, I can't say a lot, but I will say that there are two types of cops. There are the cops that white America thinks all cops are like, and then there are cops that are not like that because we watch cops on television, you know, and the cops would, do, and they don't ever know. No, you know what? Cops swear like sailors. I was in a car one time. and This guy got took down and, Oh man, they just beat, ah, beat him up. And, um, rightly so. The guy wouldn't sit down. He's acting like a retard. Um, some, some white kid, you know, had gone around and picked up all these things and, and whatever. And he just, they just slammed him into a car I'm like, I didn't show that on cops, you know, sit the bleep down, you know? So, you know, and, and granted they got rough jobs. They put themselves out there, but to act like they're going to be perfect. We don't trust our uh, politicians to be perfect. Why do we trust our cops to be perfect? They're not above the law, and um, you know, uh, being held accountable for the things that they've done. I mean, nobody's being indicted, nobody's getting called to the carpet on these things, and it and it just gets it gets on their nerves. Because black folks, one thing I I kind of figured out about them is it's not about right or wrong all the time you know, like even in politics, it's not about, um, it's about justice. It's about justice. It's about what is, is just, and what is, um, I, I don't want to say fair. Cause that sounds like what a four-year-old would say, but the, the, the equality thing is huge. Um, and I was talking to a, a family member the other day and he was talking about how, how, uh, you know, he thinks it's great when young black men rise up and, you know, get jobs and all that kind of stuff. But he says, they just, they just don't seem to try. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, listen to me, you, you've, you've hired guys to do jobs, you know, and all this kind of stuff. If you had a, a a well-spoken white guy and you had a well-spoken black dude, which one you'd hire the white guy, wouldn't you? He goes, well, yeah, yeah, I probably would. I'm like, exactly, exactly. That's why the black, cause he was talking about all the things that black men and women, um, you know, teenagers and stuff, you know, college funds and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's why they need a leg up. That's why they need help. I mean, nobody gave their family freaking land back, you know, 200 years ago or whatever it was. Nobody gave them great parcels of farmland to get their crap going. You know, they, they, they helped build this nation through slave labor. And then did they benefit from it at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So all that to say, and I have to lay this groundwork because, um, I, I've, I've, I don't know what the right word is, but I have a heart for those, for these people. And I still have friends. Um, they're part of my my community, my church, um, them and their children. And I would do anything for them. And I think vice versa is is as well. Um, you know, it. <sighs> so when it comes to the Confederate flag, it is a symbol. And my next uh, thing with them was when I moved to St. Pete and I was in White World again and it was really weird. It was quite a culture shock. I did not realize that I had left White World. I thought I had just, you know, added inner city world to my world. But no, going back was hard. It was very hard. The games that they play, the images that that they want to put out. And I think St. Pete is a exception. I don't think everybody in white world is as white as these folks are. And when I say white, I, I, I say it jokingly as a, as a diss, but I'm talking about people that love their dogs as much as their kids and who will call a school and try to bring it to its knees because one kid had a, had a peanut in his lunchbox, you know, just, and if that's you, you know, the heck with you. Screw you. You're you're an insensitive jerk. Um you need to, need to quit being so dang uh sensitive and insensitive at the same time. But um but it was at this church, there was an event that happened and um during part of it was like a musical montage and during one of the musical montages the, uh, they played Dixie, I guess, representing this, the, the, the South and a, uh, a white couple and a couple of kids came by dressed as rednecks and, and there it is, you know, the big stars and bars up on the big old screen in the middle of Sunday service and, and look away, Dixieland, you know, is playing. And for a lot of folks, um, that happened to be lighter skinned that's that they consider that a heritage thing. Um, you know, hey, that that land of cotton old times is there, not forgotten. Look away. I mean, we all learn it. It's it's what we do. It's a southern thing, it's like a like a deal. But um I looked over to a black family that I had seen come in for the first time and um saw the look on their faces as they looked up at that screen. And my heart just broke. They didn't get up, walk out. They didn't shout. They didn't do anything. They had a right to do. Um, they just at the end of service left. And I knew they wouldn't be back. And so I brought it up in staff meeting and, and you know, everybody was kissing each other's butts about how awesome the event was. And I just said, Hey, you know what? Just the thing. Okay. Um, black folks, view the uh, Confederate flag the same way Jewish folks view uh, the Nazi symbol. And you would have thought that I had peed on the constitution and wiped my butt with the American flag because um, one person in particular who, who seems to have come full circle and, and she's awesome now. We're like, we're like best friends or whatever, but she just, went into this tirade and she was talking about the civil war and how it wasn't about slavery and you know, all these other details and things. And oh, I've been in a Confederate re- recreation and this is just a symbol. And it's a, of a time and, and uh, basically all the stuff that they're probably spouting to this day. And I, and I said, you know what, everything you said is true, but, well, I didn't say everything you said is true. I, everything you said is valid. How about that? It's valid um, and may be true, the facts about the flag and all that. But it doesn't matter because the family that I saw, I guarantee you they won't be back because they saw you flash the Nazi symbol up on the screen. And celebrate it with music. And we finally had to just decide to quit discussing it. And uh, to my knowledge, the stars and bars were were eliminated from uh, any future presentations, PowerPoint or otherwise. So hooray, hurrah, hooray. Um, so I talked a whole lot about this just to kind of tell you where I've come from and what I've seen. And so, you know, when I was in St. Pete and there was this one truck that I'd see, you know, about twice a week going through the intersection. And he's got this giant uh, Confederate flag flying bold as anything. Just, you know, you need to see this This isn't my giant Confederate flag out of my giant truck. You know, I, I cannot help but go back to that childhood memory And imagine as that guy was mounting that thing on his truck going, this will scare the black people away. Uh, you know, I don't know, but it is true. It is true that, um, black folks see that, you know, as a symbol of hate. And here's the deal. Here's the thing. Southerners, people, heritage lovers, and all that kind of stuff. Your, your stuff may be absolutely legit. Your arguments may be historically accurate. All of these things may be true for you. But symbols mean whatever people put into them to mean. Um, the peace symbol in the 60s meant uh, peace. Peace. But in the eighties, when everybody was scared of cults, my mom taught me it was an upside down cross with the wings broken down, you know, symbols are what you make of them. And what I don't understand is the lack of concern or sympathy for the black community. If they find this offensive, if this hurts them, if this makes them feel like a stranger in their own country, if this seems to them to be a continued glorification and a desire for by white America to enslave them and their children, if there's anything like that, why wouldn't we want to help them with that? Now, I don't mean sit down with with classes and come learn about the flag. No. Keep the freaking flag folded up in your, in your house, you know? Now I know what what the problem is with my explanation is I know the kind of people that are flying the big giant flag out of the back of the truck. I know those kind of guys and they don't give a bleepity bleep what anybody thinks, especially them bleepity bleep flag folks. I'll do what the heck I want I'll speak English. I'll order things off Amazon. I don't know what that has to do with it. but but I don't know the people listen to this at least you'll know if you disagree with me you'll understand why I feel the way I do now um do I think that that banning the confederate flag? Uh, is going to change anything. The answer is no, I do not. I do not believe that arguing over it and doing all this stuff um, that I hear is going on is, is worth it. I don't think it's going to change uh, gang violence. I don't think it's going to change um, the the 75% uh, 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 illegitimate birth rate in, in black communities. I do not think It is going to stop black on black crime. I do not think it's going to teach instantly teach, uh, cops, um, how to properly respect the people that they serve and vice versa. I I do not see it doing any of those things, but I see it like this. Imagine you're a black dude. You get up in the morning and there's a flaming cross in your front yard. And you kick that thing over, you fill in the hole. Dump it over for somebody to pick it, you know, the trash man to pick it up. And then the next morning it's there again. You could say, oh, it's a symbol. It's a cross. Jesus died on a cross. Fire is awesome. We love fire. Part of our heritage is what we used to do put a noose on it just for fun. That'd be awesome. May not mean anything to some people, but to that individual, it would mean a whole freaking lot. You know, I'm sure there is something that you could think about that. If you saw it emblazoned on a t-shirt, it would make you irate. Um, I I'm not saying we go around and kiss everybody's butts, but this is a big issue. It was still on the Georgia flag until recently, very recently. Um, it is a symbol of hatred to the black community. Why would we want to defend that? Because what we're saying and what we seem to be portraying is that we support that they don't hear Oh, it's a part of our heritage. Oh, it's just because it was this, that, and the other. What they see is that was a flag that was over the people that were fighting against our freedom, and you want to keep it in amazing places on on flagpoles. So, because you're never going to stop the rednecks from doing it. That, that's what they, they live for. But for us to pretend that the flag is not being used um, as, as intended, you know, to, to be, um, disrespectful and hurtful, um, is, is, is ignorance, absolute ignorance, because I don't know the Bible, I, I'd hate to drag the Bible into it at this point. Um, but, the, but there's, there's comments in there about new Christians and our freedoms in Christ and the things that we can do that, but, but they can't because, you know, meat offered to idols, whatever, whatever. Um, but if there's something I can do, or believe, or see, or feel, like like a Confederate flag, but then someone else, it is it is a stumbling block to them. It hurts them. And by God, I'm going to rip that sticker off. I'm going to I'm going to take that flag and I'm going to put it away. I'm going to stop advertising the things that hurt my brothers. And I guess that comes to my last thing is we see it as us versus them. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be us, especially as Christians guys, they will know we are Christians by our love. You know, there's not a lot of division um, talked about in the Bible as far as especially new Testament church, we were supposed to bring in all kinds of people. Peter, um, had the, had the, the, the big, um, thing lowered from the heavens and the birds and all the stuff was in it. And he's like, kill and eat. No, oh no, it's unclean. I've been clean since my Blah Uh, do not call unclean what I've called clean. And, and I, and I realized the, the application for that today, back then it was, you can go talk to non-Jewish people. Okay. That was a racial, well, it was actually a religious issue because everybody that wasn't Jewish was, was, uh, was, um, a muggle or whatever. Uh, but it could easily be applied today in a racial, uh, place. It's a, you know, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Jesus died for everybody, every freaking body, gay, straight, transgendered, young, old, dirty, clean, mean, nice. All of us, all of us need the same grace, whether it is to try to live our life by his standards and the grace that we use screwing that up all the time or the grace that is afforded every man, woman, boy, and girl that is allowed to walk this earth without the love of Christ accepted into their heart. Every one of those days is a gift from the same God. Guys, we got so much us versus them going on, it's not even funny. Don't get me started on the whole gay thing. Except for this. <laughs> You know, back in in the early church days, when the apostles were going around in in Greek at times, in Roman cities and all this, you you do realize there were temple prostitutes. Do you, you do realize it was customary for, especially philosophers and stuff like that, to carry around these young boys that they would ritually and routinely have sex with. And none of this is mentioned in the Bible, not because it's not important, but because it was so ingrained in the culture and it was so unimportant when it came to what they came to do, because what did they do? They had, they went straight to who do you serve? They even, you know, challenged one of their own, um, their own, own idols. You know, you got an idol to an unknown God, you know, um, I don't think it's mentioned a lot in there because it was so much a part of the culture that what became the most important thing is where does your soul lie? You know, who's, you know, do you have a relationship with Christ who died to save your soul? You know, Mike Warnke used to say it this way and it means so much more now than it ever did. Then you do not have to get cleaned up to take a bath, but yet we hate gay people we hate that they got their rights to to marry we we hate that christianity isn't being fleshed out uh in secular culture the way we want it to for years we've fought and whined uh because we people didn't celebrate christmas the way we wanted them to um you know, and, and and I'm not a prophet, but the writing's on the wall, guys. They're taking tax credit next, and they should. Why should religious groups have tax incentives? I mean, it made sense when everybody was Christian. It was just a nice thing to do. But now it just makes people mad. Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? Aren't we supposed to be people that, <laughs> you know, not kissing the butt of every unsaved person in the world, but at least having some cr- freaking common sense? Say, okay, you pay tax, I pay tax, you know? We've got this mentality that ministers and churches and people that go to them are better than other people, and that's not true. Christ said the least of these. Man, do what he did and, and wash feet. No, don't go out there and wash feet. They would think you're insane. But culturally, what could be the equivalent of that? I'll tell you the first thing it would be. It would be putting yourself down a few notches and looking up at folks rather than looking down. I know that much right now and that's about all I know because as I'm coming out of my season of depression and anxiety and bipolarism and still dealing with you know moments instead of seasons now of that I don't know a whole lot I know that I've suffered I know that that has changed me I know that I don't really worry about a lot of the crap that I used to worry about because I don't trip out when sinners sin, when they do sinful things. Everybody, everybody freaks out, but it's for me in my house. We're not tripping out when, when sinners do sinful things. Um, and by the way, one of the reasons I'm not tripping out is because I'm a sinner and I do sinful things. And are my sins any better than anybody else's? no, The only difference between me and them is that I am saved by grace through faith, not of what works, works, works. But yet we judge each other by works. I'm doing great things. I'm better than you. You're doing bad things. No, no, no. We're supposed to be the servants of these people. We're supposed to be living at peace, if at all possible, with these people. We were never told to be political. We were never told to do that. We were actually told to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God, what belongs to God. Um, As secularism and as what we would consider sinful things become mainstream in our community and in our world, we can fight that stuff and we can come off as angry, evil, spiteful, whiny people or, or we can be like Christ who lived right in the middle of a world, not too unsimilar from ours, except it was dominated by, uh, you know, monarchy, of some sort. I don't know what kind of government the Romans had, but it was, it was something else, but a lot of taxes for my hair. And, um, and Christ showed an example of humility of, um, you know, of love, you know, everybody trips. Cause he's like, go and sin no more, you know, but to that woman caught in adultery, he showed her, he saved her life. First of all, can we get that in there? Secondly, he shifted his position and he knelt and drew in the sand. Everybody's like, what did he draw in the sand? I don't think it mattered. I think he was just doing it to tick off the dudes to give him time to think about what he had said. And I also think it put him on the level of this lady laying on the ground. I know when I talk to kids and I want to get really serious with them, I I kneel down, squat down and and talk to them face to face. Um, And here was a man speaking to a woman in public. Someone caught in adultery. And when you were associated with these people, you were branded. And we think that's weird, but that's exactly the way it is now. Go have dinner at a gay guy's house and then go to church and see who talks about you. Um, but, uh, but he, but he put himself on it, on there, and then he started talking to her, and he showed some sort of maybe supernatural, maybe, you know, maybe he knew her because of the foot washing that came later. I mean, maybe they had some sort of brush uh, with each other, but he was, he was a man that could, could know things because he was God. Uh, but he spoke into her life, and after he had done that, um, you know, it was, it was going to no more. So, um, you know, we're not shouting from the mountaintops about sin um, because you don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath. You need a bath. And the, and the bath comes uh, from the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ, what he did in John three sixteen. God loved the world, sent his son down the cross to pay us the price for our sins so that no one would perish. He doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. But what we've turned it into is... we want you to act exactly how we claim we act. Um, but we're not going to share the truth that supposedly helps us to be better than you. You know, because if we share that, you know, and that's the thing, we're too shy. We're too shy to share about the gospel, too scared to go to somebody and talk to them about it. But boy, oh boy, let somebody talk about, you know, something that, that strikes us as, as nuts in, in the political world or in a moral sense, and, oh, man, we just rise up. Because we have come become, I was thinking about this the other day, we have become the equivalent of football fans for Jesus. Football fans, they dress the part, they buy special shirts and things like that, they come together, they, get, they meet in each other's houses, they have food and fellowship and they celebrate and they cheer on their team and they fight and argue over which team's best and man, they're proud and they represent it's on their cars. It's on the things, man. That sounds an awful lot like a Christian today because we do the same thing, man. We're, we're Jesus fans. We got him on our t-shirt. We got him uh, on our car. We got him on our check in our checkbook. And, and, and yet All we do is fight and argue and represent when it comes to what is right and wrong in America rather than actually playing the game. We were supposed to take up the cross and freaking walk the field. The analogy is breaking down, but you get what I'm saying. Because the fan, here's the thing about the fan, is the fan is, it's important in in the NFL and all this, these fans, you know. But in reality, in reality, they don't do anything. Yeah, okay, they buy tickets and they go and all this. But there's a lot of guys that don't. And they just sit at home and watch stuff. They cheer. They think they're helping. And honestly, they're not. They're not making a difference. They're not changing. They're not rubbing shoulders. They're not squirting water down the, the players' throats. They're not sponsoring any events. Nothing. Um, and there's a lot of Christians like that too. They believe in Jesus. They would defend him and, and stand up for what they think he would stand up for. Um, but, but are they doing what he told them to do, which was to go into all the world, spread the gospel, make disciples. I'm, uh, I'll be the first to say, I don't know that I'm doing that, but, uh, 99% of the reason we moved here to St. Louis live in the city was to do that, to become a part of a community of people um, that would be folks that would accept and love everyone um, to bring them into um, a community that loves them as Christ would, you know, and let, let Jesus and the Holy spirit do their job. You know, if something's wrong with somebody, something's messed up, you know, if they truly love Christ and they read it in the Bible, don't you think they'll change? If God's real, if we can trust his power, can't we trust him to convict somebody in their own time? You don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath, people. So anyway, so I talked a lot a long time, but a lot of stuff I'm passionate about, and it probably should have been two episodes, but thanks for hanging in there. If you have any questions or comments, I'm, I'm, I'm welcome. I welcome them. You can email me at James at NL com. I'd love to hear any comments, even about the sound quality. If it's any better, I think my gate is a little, uh, a little high. Cause I think some of my words were getting clipped off there, but we'll see about that. Um, but my challenge to you as you're listening, if, if you're not already there, is always be open. And I mean this across the board, always be open to being wrong about everything you know. Um, because it, the things that you really do know that really are true will reprove themselves every day. Even, you know, Christ love is love. It's new every morning mercies are new every morning. So you could, you could literally throw your faith away. Well, figuratively throw, whatever. I'm not a theologian, but you could kind of, kind of just kind of forget about absentmindedly just there. And then boom, it's there. It's there for you. You could do that with your, the love you have for your spouse. And then if it's real and true, it's going to come up in the day. I love you. I love you too. Something you're going to do for that person regardless. Um, But then with the trivial stuff, the things that we put on the same shelf as salvation that don't really belong there, let's be open at least to the idea um, that everything is open to being questioned. Everything. Everything. And you say, well, brother, I got faith that's rock hard and solid and never be moved. Well, that's great. But the Bible says that we're supposed to test and approve. And it also talks about faith being tried, the fire, and how it purifies it. So if your faith hasn't been tested, it's not faith at all. If your faith's not in motion, it's just a belief. You're just a fan. You're a Jesus fan. So. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for letting me talk to your ear. Peace.